All right, guys, before we get started, what I want you to do is go ahead and hit that like button, hit share, hit subscribe, hit follow, whatever works best on the platform that you're on. Everything that you do to engage with the podcast helps us spread the message and really helps reinforce us being the force of change within veterinary medicine. And we're extremely grateful if you're able to do that for us. So thank you very much. All right, let's get to the show. my goodness this is gonna be a fun one i you know yeah. when i had this idea of like you know what carlo's gonna be on like seven to ten days in a row yeah yeah in between this long run let's wing it yeah and see what happens after eight o'clock at night <laughs> right oh man hello sir yes hello welcome back yeah good to see you how yeah. was uh how was your day it was good it was good, good. yeah good well, enough anyways yeah yeah it's uh it's kind of why I like walk in, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, we can call it emergency medicine, you can call it a lot of different stuff, but really ultimately it's walking at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you just, I like the idea of not knowing what my day, um, has, mm-hmm. but then it's also like maybe even to my detriment a little bit where it's like, <laughs> you know, if I did some case prep work beforehand, maybe some cases would go a little bit quicker, but I don't know. I just think I do so much better on my feet. Yeah. You know, it's like there's only only so much you can kind of prep for. I, I think you would be uh, you would be the one that would get really bored really fast. Like mm-hmm. there's prep work that can be done, but I feel like you get to do that with the hospitalized cases, and you've gotten to do that over the last fifteen. True years story. Of doing the job. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think it. I think it's uh, actually what was what was the joke I made earlier today it was. Um, Carlo had to build the place and sign the check so that he could actually work on a team that liked him. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's a joke. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, Caitlin was saying something. I think yeah. it was when you were walking to the break room just making some snarky comment. And it's like, yeah, that's why he signs the checks. You, right. you got to just hang yeah. on to it. Yeah. So yeah. And to show up late to work. But... <laughs> Which is now becoming like a yeah, thing. The Riolo is. time is a thing that ev- yeah. apparently everyone gets to live on now. Yeah. When uh, when uh, so Re- Rebecca is here, and sh- I'm sure we'll get her in here probably yeah, in yeah, a couple yeah, weeks. Awesome but her, yeah. she showed up like ten minutes early, and I'm like, she already doesn't fit in. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, if you don't show up to your first day late, you know. <laughs> I I, did, I should have asked Annie if she was if she was late to yeah. uh, onboarding or not. But yeah. No, I'm sure they're all very prompt. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, um, kind of a little bit off the cuff. We had a couple different ideas for this podcast on some stuff. So we're gonna have Bree in here at some point before she leaves next week as well um, to talk about kind of her perspective on her what she learned in her education yeah. as well as in practice and how that compares yeah. to paw and just kind of getting that like I, super naive just like look in yeah um yeah, the but, fresh eyes yeah um but today i'm gonna do something similar to what we did in episode 21 which was uh titled the unicorn practice and it was um, brought on by my first exposure to like literally anything in the industry that was outside of PAW, besides <laughs> just being a client at other practices, yeah. um, and how uh, essentially I was kind of disappointed. And I, I went back and listened to the whole thing, and um, 
you know, again, I, I, what I really want to preface this is the same as the preface with the last one is I think there's a lot of good intention, yeah. but I think um, overall some things were missing the boat. And the thing that um, brought this on for me is I stumbled across an article that um, was basically like four ways to keep your staff out of survival mode. And as soon as I saw the word survival mode, yeah. I was like, well, I have to read this because right, right, maybe right. I'm missing something, right? Uh, right, right, right. Um, and ultimately um, was kind of disappointed in the fact that these four titles are four different tips where the t- two were become less available and two were become less affordable. Yeah. So with that, um, my head immediately went to ununified profession because in the article it talks about how if you are less available, somebody else will come and pick up the slack. But it's like, well, what if everyone's less available? And I think yeah. that's the issue that we have locally here. 100%. Um, 100%. And, and then you, what that turns into is now one spot is overwhelmed because we've chosen to not say no. Yeah. And there's it's, it's created a separation um, between, I was, I, I mean, you'll know this better than me. And that's, you know, I'll kind of show it up after this, but a separation between us and some of the referring clinics that are in our area. Um, and even maybe even between their clinics themselves and um, you yeah. know, with Katie's day practice experience, she might know more yeah. about that as too. But, but um, yeah, I'll get into it a little bit more um, here in a second. But I guess am I off my rocker in thinking that you know that that because availability and affordability is right on our industry overview. Like yeah. that's the fundamentals of what yeah. we do. Um, you know, I'm, am I crazy for thinking that that's creating one of the key elements that is contributing to an ununified profession? Kind of take me back to the original thought pattern when you were making the overview. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, the industry overview, like you said, it does encompass a lot of different ideas into just a few basic bullet points. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the whole idea is if I can oversimplify what this is and then everything can be explained by everything in the industry overview, then obviously... Um, then we can start to problem solve it. Then we can start mm-hmm. to plan it. Then we can start to, you know, figure out solutions. But yeah, I think, I, I think what, not just in the last year that I've learned, but really honestly, when we talk about an ununified profession, there's so many ways that we aren't unified. Mm-hmm. So it's in business practices, it's in cultural management, it's in clientele, um, you know, handling or facing to um, even marketing in some capacity. I mean, I think a lot of veterinary clinics, it's all word of mouth, you know, and are they taking on new clients? And, you know, what does that mean? And I, a lot of this, when we talk about ununified profession, for me as a whole, it's that we've actually unified to tradition. So I think, (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. when I look at it is it's that, you know, we're so comfortable with the way that things were 20 to 30 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, because we're talking, you know, late 90s, mm-hmm. you know, and that's still what I define. I mean, because I was in high school at that time. I had uh, graduated high school in 2000. So kind of in that like mid 90s is that's where still in my brain. I'm like, that's the Mecca. That's when we as an industry had a good control. At least my perception at the time was we had a good control over everything because you, you were kind of in that middle group for uh, or at least to say maybe middle group, but like transitioning human animal bond, mm-hmm. you know, because at that time, the statistical outlier was the fur baby. Mm-hmm. That was like 
like, what are you even talking about? You know, like, no, it's a dog. That was more of like the 90s tip mentality. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's kind of what it was defined at that yeah. time, but it was growing. Right. So, um, and that's where I think, like I said, we're so unified on tradition. You have a lot of business owners that may have started their practices in the 70s and 80s, um, you know, some in the 80s and 90s. Um, and, you know, of course, there have been that have bought practices or started practices thereafter, but we kind of yeah. talk about the, common veterinary veterinary clinic is that it's like oh this has been around for 30 years you know and it's like you know awesome because like again i still stand on the shoulders of giants like we needed that then Mm -hmm. but we've we have we are ununified because we are really trying to uphold this idea of tradition but we're really not embracing or even i shouldn't say embracing but i think probably acknowledging that the industry is so far beyond the business practices. Um, And that's what has then left the void for uh, corporate medicine Mm -hmm. is that that huge gap between, you know, what we're trying to hold on to is this ideal practice. Um, And it comes out of so many different things. It's like, you know, coming out of the James Harriet books and, you know, that culture. And, you know, again, there's all these ideas of what, you know, this, um, you know, black bag veterinarian and just the, you know, like can do everything, you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's like that's for a lot of us culturally where we're at from a mentality standpoint. But it's like it's, it's a head in the sand type. Uh, perspective, mm-hmm. you know, where we just really want to refuse um, to believe where we are at from a realistic standpoint. And that's when we look at not just our industry overview, but our creating accountability diagram, it's that establishment of reality. Yeah. And so to say, you know, we talk about the ununified profession, um, it's that we really aren't unifying with the times. Okay. And that's that to me is really saying that we're ununified. We're not, we have not established reality as an entire industry. We as an industry refuse, at least passively or actively, we refuse to really acknowledge where we're at. Okay. And that if we can establish reality, and that's why I think, um, you know, why it's so, and, and we can talk about this with Demoline when she's here, mm-hmm. uh, which also, side note, I think uh, Demoline and Caroline, uh, Tuesdays <laughs> with Demoline and Caroline, I think is a perfect uh, hashtag. But anyway, um, is uh, that was kind of what, you know, we were talking about this last week on kind of this, like, you know, having people into our organization as a fresh set of eyes, yeah. you know, to really see. It's actually... Um, a huge compliment when they say this actually just makes sense. Yeah. You know, like that to me where it's just like, no, you're, you're right. Like this does make sense. Like this is actually how it's supposed to be. So when we unify as an industry, it's that we are really shedding away a lot of the failure mindset items where it's like, because I mean, think about failure mindset. We're talking excuses. We're talking blame, you know, even denial in some capacities. So if we're denying where the state of the industry is, we're, you know, making excuses that, oh, well, the care or we're blaming the caregivers, you know, well, they and they and they and all these animals. And now this other thing is affecting me really just it's the idea behind like, no, focus on solutions, focus on outcome, focus on process, focus on, you know, how as a, as an industry, we can start to unify around, you know, kind of this common thought of just establishing reality, Okay. you know, cause the reality in, yeah, I was kind of say geographically, the reality in Boston versus the reality yeah. in LA versus the reality in Northern Wisconsin is going to vary slightly, mm-hmm. but I'm can pretty much guarantee that complaints come through the same way. 
Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, at least I, I, yeah, you're, you're going to have some significant similarities between those markets, just with the fact that we kind of just do the same thing. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, you know, it's it's uh, actually I believe it was in 21. You talked about how you know your dad had worked in the automotive yeah. industry as well, and like you know, cars out there, or cars out are here, or cars. You know, it's <laughs> right. it's, it's kind of this a similar yeah. thing. Yep. Um, so, so you talk about establishing reality as like a shared group and um for me you know because this, this is why actually i, I think um this is going to be really cool is with within that like the reason our biggest barrier to having that shared reality in this instance really is kind of like electing naivety like head in the sand that yeah. like i just yeah I passively made, or actively right yeah right yeah um so that that concept of holding on to tra- holding on to tradition whether that's out of safety fear all yeah. that sort of stuff yeah so most you know, most fear but mostly yes. yeah. yeah yeah fear change um which actually goes directly kind of into the first um line item here i have the whole thing printed off but yeah, we yeah. pretty much just lean on headlines it's build a new client screening process yeah and to me like that is a you're gonna put so much work into this idea of holding on to what it is that because they now have to fit my model they have to and and there is some value in that like i get where they're coming from because you you know you don't want to sink all of your time into four people that's not fun to do but also like how stringent are you going to be Who's right. going to police it? Right. Who's going to monitor it over time? How are you going to fire people if they fall out of it? Yeah. And and I think like the idea of having a new client screening process is one that could slippery slope its way into saying no to way too many people. It, well, and I think that's... I instinctively just have fear about patient servitude. I, I, yes. think, I, think, I think that's where yes. I, I do have some, some concern. And... Um, a part of it is, you know, for us, you know, we've talked about serve the patients and educate the caregiver for uh, years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really we transitioned that into the idea of that we're here to serve. That's really what we're here to do. We're here to serve. Yes, we're here to serve the patient, um, but also we're going to serve the patient by, you know, making sure that our front end is handled, that our support staff is trained. We're here to serve by being administrators. We're here to serve to be associate veterinarians, to be veterinary nurses. We're we're all going to serve different ways. Um, but my concern with as we start to have um, a more specific client screening or caregiver screening mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. Um, is it's who's getting left by the wayside. Right. You know, and now granted, you can't have a practice that focuses on 100 percent of clientele. Mm-hmm. So there is a give and a take in that statement, because for us, we talk about the middle 60 percent. Right. You know, we're going to we're going to focus entirely on the middle 60 percent of clientele. And that middle 60 percent is uh, a caregiver and um, I'm sorry, human animal bond alignment. We're going to focus on the middle 60 percent. Also, financially, we're going to focus on the middle 60 percent. Um, but really, I'm not even sure for us as an organization how much we really financially focus on the middle 60 percent, because we really actually are kind of creeping into the bottom 20 percent and actually mm-hmm. trying to really think of invent new ways um, to engage the bottom 10 percent as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the what I look at is is that we are a very dynamic practice. Mm-hmm. So we are constantly changing to <laughs> yes uh, to market towards caregivers or you know servitude you know servitude to patients or something like that. This article was not written for me. 
That's correct. It was not yeah. written for Pa. Yeah. It's not written for us. Mm -hmm. Is that it was written for a very traditional practice that's now getting overwhelmed with clientele. Yeah. So we're talking more about a day practice. Like, are we saying, all right, so is this a top bonded practice, which is such an old business model mm -hmm. to focus on the top 20% of clientele to then say, well, now we're even going to be a bit more strict. So what, is, what does that mean? Are we going to start to kind of drop out the bottom end of our uh, clientele? Are we going to just exclusively focus on now we you know we're a top bonded practice so we have we focus on the top 20 percent of clientele are we not saying the top 15 yeah. the top 10 so if it's if you're being stricter with your standards does that mean that you are now losing clients that you've had for 20 years because mm -hmm. now you've become more strict on standard and that's why I, again I, I understand where that statement is coming from mm -hmm. but if we talk about patient servitude um i think i think that's where i start to struggle and being like yes i i understand that if you and your staff are overwhelmed that you have to have a process to to, um, you know, essentially screen out clientele. But if you're going to have a process to screen out clientele, you better have a process to deal with uh, angry clientele. Mm -hmm. Like that also needs to be a part of it. Because if you're starting to kind of taper down the number of people that you're serving and the patients that they're serving, there's going to be people that get more and more upset with that process. Mm -hmm. So how are you, like, who, where are you placing that responsibility of quote unquote aggravation? Mm -hmm. So are we saying that your receptionists are going to have to t suffer a hundred percent of the like tapered clientele? Right. Is it now the doctor's responsibility to suffer that tapered clientele? Cause I can almost guarantee you 80% of it is falling on your front staff. Yeah. Yeah. So if we talk about, so we're going to fix burnout by, you know, be having a more strict client screening process, does that then mean that you're actually just focusing 100% of the strife onto a couple people of your team rather than distributing it evenly? Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually, uh, Rebecca and I were actually just talking about this in <laughs> surgery like a half hour ago, um, is that, you know, when you have a client that may be identified as being more difficult, um, it's not really just everyone just scatters. Like, who's the who's the one going to catch the angry one, you know? And it, mm -hmm. it can't just be the front staff every single time. So it's really more of like, you know, it's really all of our responsibility as a team. And that's the whole idea of unification is it's like we, we are all here. This is the policy. We are all standing behind it. And we all have the same talk path. We all have the same script. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just, you know, it, it, and again, I, this kind of bleeds into like the client is always right thing. So it's like if you have the front end staff who's like, well, this is what we have. And the vet's like, yeah, that's uh, that's just how we have it now. Sorry. And <laughs> yeah, what did they tell you up front? Because that's who I can send you to. Yeah. You know, so that's why, like I said, when I hear about screening clientele, it's all about patient servitude. But when you talk about screening clientele, it then also comes into um, how are you going to handle your complaint process um, and who does that responsibility fall upon? And they better be ready to, um, you know, either emotionally, physically, you know, is that are we really helping survival mode mm -hmm. uh, by tapering clientele? Um, because, again, I think you're probably going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul mm -hmm. from an animosity standpoint. I think a part of that, too, is um, you know, basically what you're doing is you're funneling anger down yes. into a single point yeah. and in the, the thing is it might not hit you that the hit your clinic hit your staff that day that month that year yeah. um but you know i think the thing that will kind of that that provides that cushion is um if you if, an, if a business like us exists because right. they can just be like we'll just call paw Right, because right. they're available like right. they'll they they will say yes and then when your 
already angry and then you bring that here and then yeah. it, you know you it, it just gets worse, oh well we right? get that we get that yeah. in consult where it's just like well my vet won't take me so i guess i'm here now right and i was like i guess i'm here now <laughs> right <laughs> like you're welcome you're right right yeah. yeah so but i mean we we are pretty good about handling that type yeah. of thing and it's not easy yeah. to do though no because because yeah. from experience and working up front as i try to switch my cameras here there, there we go. go yeah it, like you know, like it, it's an art form to work yourself through that conversation. Sure, yeah. Because you have to be so forward about the service mindset. Yeah, yeah and yeah. just be like, like understanding too. Like you're, yeah. you, you have to, you have to let the person be heard, but also not give an inch on process. Correct, correct. Like I am, I can understand why that's frustrating for you. Yeah. And here's how we're going to do this. Yes, yes. Like you yeah. can't, there's no like compromise really. No, and you, and you don't want to fuel that fire either. Right. You know, like if we were in the business of stealing clients, which we aren't, because right. first of all, you can't steal clients because no one owns clients. It, it's a free mm -hmm. market. Anyone can go what they where they want, whenever they want. If they feel like they're being served better in one place versus another, nobody owns anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're also not in the business to then trash those, you know, veterinary veterinarians or veterinary clinics that do have a, a tapered appointment schedule, right. you know? So if they are becoming less available and they have that screening process, they say, well, you know, my vet couldn't even see me today. And I'm just like, well, you know, I said, it's a, it is a difficult time for a lot of us. And, um, you know, I, I often say, and this actually, uh, Katie, she reminds me of this all the time. It's like, they're allowed to have a life. Like they're allowed to have a life, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, I think that's where, you know, part of where this article came from is how to get in survival mode and become less available. It kind of leans into that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to have a more strict client screening process, um, and then to then fall on our doorstep, it's not going to be like, yeah, they should be open 24 hours like us because right. that's a fucking easy job, <laughs> you know, like it's definitely not an easy job. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, um, so, so yeah, there is tact, Yeah, you know, there is tact. Um, but, um, I, like you said, I think the big thing is just maintaining empathy for both sides, mm -hmm. you know, and I think uh, for me, how I sort of manage those conversations with like, well, my vet's not even open today. I said, you know what I said, but that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. And I said, my job is to make sure that you and your patients are served appropriately. And I said, the other thing, you know, is that everything we do here, all of our diagnostics, all of our treatments, all of our medical records, I said, all of that gets sent back to your veterinarian. Mm -hmm. So they have it on file as well. So they sort of know what they did and they kind of follow up with you. And I have a lot of people that are like, oh, I got to come back in two weeks for a urine recheck or something like that. And they say, well, who should we go to? Should we go to our veterinarian to recheck or we should come here? And I said, honestly, it's whichever's more convenient. Mm -hmm. I said, because your veterinarian receiving the record might be out two to three weeks on appointments. I said, that's about when I need you to recheck is two to three weeks. So they're going to get the record tomorrow morning, give them a call, see when their next available is. I said, if their next available is six weeks from now, I said, well, come back to us in three weeks. We'll mm -hmm. be here. We'll work you in because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still part of just trying to make maintain that relationship and not openly sort of disparaging our colleagues that have tapered at least in some capacity. And I shouldn't even necessarily say tapered because they may not have necessarily even, um, you know, sort of reduced what they're doing. It's just that the fact they're incredibly overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think I, I, of course we have to go through a couple more bullet points here, there, but, um, the other thing that's why I said, I think a huge part of this is so multifactorial is because we're, I think we finally, um, uh, Katie, Annie, and I, we finally had the conversation where it's, we're finally going hundred percent triage. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's, you can, I'm kind of personally nicknaming it block scheduling. Mm -hmm. 
But the idea is we have, you know, a set number of pre-scheduled per day, a set number of surgeries per day, and we just give the caregivers the opportunity. All right, well, you are among our five pre-scheduled appointments today. Show up whenever the hell you want. Uh, you're going to come in at a higher order of triage. When you come in at a higher order of triage, you're still subject to triage and kind of having that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where, like I said, it's so full, a multifactorial where a lot of these clinics may not actually be tapering. It's just, again, what have we done? We have unified on tradition. So it's the it's the uh, um, sort of resistance to break this schedule where I have 20 minute appointments and I'm booked all day and then I got the drop offs and the walk ins and the fill ins and I'll deal with those when I'm doing this and I'm not going to get a lunch and when I'm going to do the surgery and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually Rebecca even asked me today, she's like, all right, so if you guys are a triage based clinic, she's like, how are you supposed to do your surgeries? Mm-hmm. You know, when are you supposed to do spays? When are you supposed to do, we just got done with an amputation. When are we supposed to do this? And it's like, well, you know, these hospitalized patients carry the highest order of triage. Mm-hmm. So if we have an animal that we got to take a leg off, like it's going to carry a little bit of priority over a patient who might have an ear infection, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and that's again, sort of the, the facing of the front staff to say, well, it's their job to sort of make sure they're communicating with caregivers as they come through and just know your patient will be served. We're going to keep an eye on it the whole time it's here. Do you guys want to go home and have dinner and just do right. your thing? And we'll give you a call in a couple hours. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to charge you just for keeping your animal here. Right. So again, it's kind of this unification to tradition and saying like, all right, well, how are we actually managing these appointments? How can we actually deal with this overflow? Um, and that's where, when it comes to kind of having increased screening process here, clientele, it's like, well, are you screening them through appointments? You know, so, yeah. and there's a lot of different ways to do it, but. Yeah, and that actually, so you talk about being overwhelmed and all that, and that actually brings, goes right into the second line item, which is to implement work volume controls. Yep. So the a part of that is, you know, maintaining some semblance of that appointment based, you know, 20 minute roll or whatever people do in terms of- Do me again, what does it say, like the line specifically? Implement work volume controls. Okay, gotcha, yep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which we don't have. We definitely (laughs) do not have that. We are the opposite of that. Yes, yes. and, And we, we can even we'll we'll probably talk much more accurately about the pitfalls of not having that. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it's, you, when we started this, the, the, what I wrote down is who are we here to serve, right? Right. And it's like yeah. yeah. As much as it sucks that you got to bite the bullet on some of these days, and for us, some of these six months, um, that's where my head continues to go. But yeah. to kind of go along with this, he does. He also did mention about having a a specific booking system for like same day appointments. So at least yeah. having an open window for that. Yeah. But also having um, caps mm-hmm. because there is inevitability of walk-ins and all yeah. that sort of stuff, but still like having like this hard number of like, we don't go above this. And to yeah. me, like that is such a, that is such a hard thing to wrap my head around. We, we have a, we have a emergency clinic, uh, a stone's throw in here, a stone's yeah. throw away from here. who's kind of, l- doing that concept yeah they're starting to taper the number of emergencies that they'll see in a uh, a night yeah um and um again i I think that there is some importance to knowing your limitations yes um and again the whole point of this article is how do you get out of survival mode or prevent survival mode so again i again i think there is some merit to it Mm -hmm. um what i would legitimately challenge anybody who manages or uh, owns or operates a a traditional practice a nine to five um is pick one day a week Mm -hmm. do your half day saturdays uh do your you know late nights wednesdays or you know whatever it is but i would challenge you guys to take 
a triage based approach to those appointments. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, because we have to remember, like, how do you transition? Can you just throw the, you know, uh, Frankenstein switch (laughs) and just go from appointment based to triage based? No, you can't. Um, But I would I would challenge a lot of clinics to be like, all right, that one late day a week or, um, you know, on weekends or what have you throw out your traditional appointment-based practice. And once we get into um, having our uh, education portal live, we're going to have a lot more stuff on teaching triage and teaching how that works. Um, and I would really challenge a lot of clinics to, to try and embrace that model because, mm-hmm. you know, you will have, yeah, you might have some clients that are, you know, a little perturbed about not having their, you know, 10, 10 appointments and you're late to that. They're already pissed off because you have <laughs> 10 drop-offs anyway. Right. Um, you know, but... Um, uh, but that, yeah, it's a kind of cap volume. That's what we were kind of talking about. We're going to have this many surgeries per day, uh-huh. you know, this many uh, pre-scheduled appointments. But that is still in the world of triage. Uh-huh. We're only going to guarantee, you know, 10 level three triage pre-schedules. Uh-huh. You know, we're going to have this many wellness surgeries. And what that allows for is then the other stuff to also incorporate in. That's like, all right, well, I, I really think that we can handle like six surgeries today. So I'm going to do three generals. And I'm going to have three gaps. So it's whatever happens in that day, laceration repairs. You know, up here, we get a lot of porcupine patients. Uh, Funny enough, uh, in Arizona, they get a lot of cactus. uh, Ah. Yeah, that one uh, I I learned about recently. Hmm, So I can uh, see that. They're less mobile than the actual porcupines are, though. Yes. So it seems like uh, they they just need to open their eyes a little bit. Yeah, shout out to an old friend, Alexa. She uh, told me that that's what they kind of deal with down there. And I'm like, oh, my God, can you send me a can you send me a cactus barb? She's like, only if you send me a quill, you know, cause like everyone down there is like, what? You know, but anyway, um, so the, uh, so yeah, you know, like I said, I, I think the, yeah, I just, capping you know, blocks, but you know, yeah. from my, from my background and I'm, I will just freely admit I am just a hardcore capitalist at heart. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there is a lot of color on this statement, but I just have such a hard time understanding capping work when there's so much business to to be ha- to be made to to yeah so there's to so many in. there's two there's so many people that are calling every day yeah. there's so many people that need service and the idea of just putting this hard number on it there is value in it in like not just completely drowning out your people because right. the, let's also identify the fact that there is a shortage of staff across yeah. in general, yeah. especially when you get outside of Metro markets. Yeah. So that is a reality. Uh, well, let's, but. let's kind of play with that idea a little bit though. So uh, we talk about ununified industry, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that works for us, and again, we, ha- we you know, uh, who was I talking to? Oh, I was actually talking about one of our caregivers, Dan, um, is he and I were actually just talking about today is that, uh, actually it was for a wellness consult and we actually got on this, but it's fine. Um, is, uh, you want people who want a career. You don't want people who want a job. That's true. Yeah. So when we talk about a unified industry, we really need career-based people, you know, focused on sort of this end goal. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely, I am of the position 
that if we can fix the challenges that I've outlined in the industry overview um, with, um, uh, again, antiquated business practices, at-risk households is a really big one, mm -hmm. but we really start to focus on the overpopulation issue that Bob Barker's been telling us about since the, not, you know, 70s. 80s. Yeah, right, I was going to say. It's been a I long mean, time. My experience is, yeah, 80s, because that's when I was at home <laughs> sick from school. Um, but, the, you know, but really saying, like, all right, that we know that this has been an issue, yeah. and so all of us are surprised, like, oh, look at all, everyone has more animals now, and, you know, they're talking about the COVID boom, where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, everyone's been home, and they got more cats and more dogs, yeah. and it's like, yeah, that wouldn't have happened if we controlled animal population about 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think the, uh, with it being kind of, a, again, a multifactorial problem, mm -hmm. um, is that for me, it's if you have people that are link thinking about it more as a career, they're going to fight. And they're going to pull the long hours. They're going to work the long hours because they know what you're doing is virtuous. And that's for us. Again, we're here to serve. Mm -hmm. And eventually what's end up happening is, and again, we're the perfect example of the more money that comes into the practices through patient servitude allows you to afford more items, more yeah. assets. Yep. And for us, assets are always people. Mm -hmm. People are the greatest asset of any practice. You know what depreciates? physical items, oh, yeah. the building depreciates, your equipment depreciates, everything else you invest in gets worse with time. Mm -hmm. The one thing you can guarantee that gets better with time, people. Mm -hmm. So as long as you invest in people, the business will always succeed, the business will always grow. So if we're saying that there's a mechanism where we should see less people and serve less patients, what we're essentially doing is saying, guess what, everyone here has a job. Mm -hmm. But if you embrace the idea that everyone is here for a career and that all of us are going to grow with time, all of us are going to get better with time. We are assets that appreciate. We appreciate being here. We're going to get better. Our skills going to get better. But we also have to look behind us. Those people who come after us, we have to teach. We have to mentor. We have to improve their skill set. And then eventually the team grows into a group of people that are only here to serve and the more people that are here to serve the business grows mm -hmm. so you stop being locked into these kind of concrete appointment slots and you know and that's where when conflict does happen the whole team stands up as a whole and says you know what we are here to serve mm -hmm. we are here to do this job together and you can't talk to this person this way and when they get talked to like that you know what I think you've done a fantastic job today because we are here and we are serving patients. The whole mentality changes. And that's why when we talk about kind of, you know, capping the appointment mm -hmm. schedule, again, I think that it's a safety mechanism. I think mm -hmm. that it's it's reactive. Um, but if we look at it saying, if you focus on building people's careers, it stops becoming a variable. Dr. Lauren's the perfect example. She doesn't care about wait times because yeah. she knows that we are yep. here to serve. Yeah. Oh, she's a she's the example. Yeah, she. I, I love yeah. having to explain that to her. It's like, yeah. girl, you get it. Yeah. Um, the other thing with this, and it, it goes into the next one, and the next one is, is, is the the title is remodeling your service. It's not necessarily about your physical space. It's more about niching down. Um, so going from GP to like cat only. Oh, like, sure. Like just, just, yeah. Just you're focusing down cat only. Yeah, right. So yeah, yeah. you already kind of talked about that going from top 20 to top 15, top 10 or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or just really isolating 
who it is or you know the type of patient type of person whoever that you're there to serve but with both of those to me and this is why my head immediately went to ununified profession is that safety mechanism is so defensive that somebody else is gonna take the hit and what happened and maybe i'm just i'm super protective of the people that work here maybe that's what's going on in my head but it's like to me it's like no if everybody just said yes a little bit more yeah nobody would feel like they're gonna like nobody's gonna have to feel like they're just gonna get shit on at the the walk-in urgent care emergency practice every single day for nine months out of the year if everyone just said a little bit more like just just take it on like unify as a profession and yeah. say you know what we are in fact all here to serve and if those people who have the resources in the you know the team to handle true emergencies if they're overwhelmed yeah. and i send the ear infection over there now i did a disservice to that patient yeah. because i probably could have done it fair point i um did a disservice to my practice because i said no you yeah. know to to, to to building that relationship building you know g- g- gathering revenue yeah. that's an important element and also to the other people that are at the the er because now they have to make somebody wait seven hours yeah. and that person's just not going to be happy yeah flat out like <laughs> I, I as as much as i've seen it happen where people yeah. are very very patient and i'm super appreciative when they are you get that wait time about four hours yeah. there yeah. the 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 wire starts to run thin yeah. so with both of those things like to me it's just about like just to have that perspective a little bit about like if we all share this workload, if we all can say a little bit more and say, you know what, I here want to work a little bit harder for that person at that practice and that person at that practice and so on and so forth, none of us are gonna be nearly as overwhelmed. We'll just take, you know, if we all eat 5%, we can all chew the 100% down way faster. Yeah, yeah, and so, but again, uh, let's think about the traditional practice mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Is that if uh, in the old, you know, old days, quote unquote, um, but the idea was everyone was actually scrapping for a very small percentage of clientele. Yeah. So when small when it was large animal medicine, I mean that's what the industry was. It was it was farm vets, and then it started to transition more into small animal, and then we started to get more money into uh, diagnostic development and therapeutic development, and so on and so forth. And as the small animal profession started to grow, and a lot of these breakaway veterinarians were like, "I'm gonna be the statistical outlier and just having a cat and dog practice." And everyone's like, "Well, that's a dumb idea. What are you gonna do with the guy?" Right. You know, so uh, again, that was sort of that transition period at that time is everyone really was scrapping for a very small amount of clientele. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like I said, for me, I really kind of embrace this idea that nobody owns anyone. People choose to go where they are served the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, for us to look at the industry as a whole and be like, no, there really is a substantial amount of business for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that if we can unify as a profession, we no longer have to think about competitors. No, not at all. For us, like, and that's the thing for me, like I don't actually think any of the 52 different practices that refer to us, I don't actually view any of those as competitors. Mm -hmm because there is so much business. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we're just kind of doing this one thing and you're kind of doing your thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, it's more of saying like, no, if we kind of break that traditional mentality and be like, no, let's stop unifying around the idea of my clients and Mm -hmm. unify around the idea of what? 
community medicine, mm-hmm. herd health, the population as a whole, mm-hmm. where it's like, this is just service to be had. Um, that's where, again, like you said, we're going to start to look out for one another rather than being like, oh, this person's, you know, uh, one zip code over and I got to drop my spay prices by $10 so I can compete with them. I'm going to lose these clients. It's like, no, there is literally so much business to be had. Um, and that's why I'm so sort of enthusiastic about engaging that younger generation of veterinarian to consider just the crazy idea of being entrepreneurs. Because it's like, no, we really have a dramatic opportunity. But if we can unify around the strength of the individually sort of independently owned practitioner, this one clinic that is owned by one or two vets, the clinic that is loaned owned locally, where we have local influence, where our local dollars stay local, the profit we have within the practice stays local. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm so passionate about having a lot of different veterinary owners in a district, Mm -hmm. because we all serve a different purpose, we all serve a different need. And when we start to look at sort of the corporate unification of practices mm-hmm. is that starts to bleed away. It yeah. starts to go away where we no longer really think about as being sort of an identity, an individual, a personality. It's more of just like, all right, well, this is what your job is. And it's no longer career focused. And the team breaks down no longer career focused is job focused. Mm-hmm. Um, more so of just like collecting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's where, um, you know, I, I think is, is kind of my perspective. I think a part of that too is um, maybe how do I put this the right way? I think a part of that is already happening with referral networks. Yeah, that's the thing that if well maybe maybe that's the beginning of you know what you know ultimately we don't want to have happen, but it pushes the veterinary industry into the human healthcare flavor you know, yeah. type industry, right? Yeah, um, but the. Uh, here, the reason why we don't want that to happen, right, is like we can understand the fact that everyone wants and does their thing. There's value in that, and maybe you know within the referral network type setting where you've got your you know like a human, you've got your um, radiologist and oncologist and blah 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 sure. blah blah. Is I, number one, I think is too specific because the there's not the health insurance. Um, volume of dollars not as widely adopted right yeah but there's also um i think you know maybe as bond spectrum shifts culturally over time maybe that'll shift but there's not there's less of a propensity to spend an absorbent amount of money on on animals which is fair you know everyone does whatever they want to do so so if you take those two variables and you say okay well now we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and we're trying to make something that's similar to the human healthcare system without with variables that don't really let us. So that means we have to conglomerate because now we need to be able to scale this, um, and we need to isolate down our overhead in people and you know buildings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I should say non uh, non clinical people. Yeah. Well, um, and we used to talk a lot about scalability. Yeah, that was actually when you were on the strategic planning mm-hmm. side. It was just that it wasn't okay. Again. We say it all the time, is this a PAW problem or is it an industry problem, yeah. you know? But it was yeah. really more of like, <clears throat> they're kind of the same. Uh, <laughs> but but eventually it was going to bleed into being like, all right, cool, Riolo, you got a staff of, you know, 20 people. Like, mm-hmm. stop trying to fix the world with 20 people, um, you know? So, But yeah, again, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so is it scalable? Is it right? Right. And and what I what I think is gonna what the the thing that's gonna break and 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 the reason why I think that the way that we do things is the future is like those variables. I don't think that those are surmountable. I legitimately don't know if there is a a right way of being in this industry and saying, you know what, we don't need the the significant presence of insurance and we you know and we don't need really niche down people and because so with that then you're talking about okay square peg or that's the round hole but the square peg is now i have a bunch of general practitioners that are trying to like niche into specific zones but they're not great at it they don't necessarily have the infrastructure to do it and also they're all fighting over the same 12 people because right. now they're dealing like top 1%. No, fair point because if you niche down cuz like I said there's plenty of business for everybody. Yeah. But if you niche down, you're yeah. then right back to where you were in the 80s and 90s where it was just like well now you're niching down into the same niche. Right. So right. it's you're really now starting now again we're on unifying because we're thinking of each other as competitors, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's that's where again I think um, yeah some some of what is eventually going to end up being lost is going to be to our own detriment. Yeah, you know, is because we're 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 doing that at least in that regard, and yeah, you know, some of it some of it unfortunately some of the stuff is trendy. You know, is it's, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to speak ill of feline practices. I'm not going to speak ill of fear free. I'm not going to speak ill a lot of those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's that idea of the more you taper. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there it's, it's the idea of the perception of value. Mm-hmm. So what is the perception of value? Some people, I, I get clinics in the area that are substantially more expensive than we are. Mm-hmm. And people are still convinced that because these clinics are more expensive that they have received more prestigious care Mm -hmm. and i'll kind of review the cases and i'm like oh my god you paid how much for what Mm -hmm. you know and it's uh and i don't say that to them you know it's 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 the perception of value Mm -hmm. um and that's where again when you niche down i think Mm -hmm. that's what ultimately ends up happening uh but it doesn't necessarily mean an improvement of service Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that your patient care is actually getting any better um but there is kind of that that uh uh, that toss demand. up, yes, yeah, <laughs> supply demand. So yeah, we talk about quantity and quality. So if yeah. you drop your quantity, your quality goes up. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I think that there is merit to tapering the number of you know clients and patients that you see. But mm-hmm. like you said, it is kind of kind of passing the buck a little bit. Um, and that's where then, of course, for us and our triage model, um, that's really what our responsibility is. It's not for us to taper our clientele. It's like, all right, cool, they're here and they need help. Mm-hmm. They need us to help them for whatever variables they have in their life. They work nine to five, vets work nine to five. You know, whatever the variable is yeah. in their life that they're here, that's where it passes off. We're like, okay, we need to constantly change and learn and constantly improve what we're doing, but really more of a dynamic process based on market demand Mm -hmm. one six months at a time one year at a time you know really it's one summer at a time but the (laughs) (laughs) you know but but yeah and that actually goes directly into the last one which is switch up your pricing um when i when i read that i was like i get it i you know economics tells you if you're too busy raise your prices right 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 I totally understand that premise. And there's definitely, you know, there's something to be said about it in the overwhelming majority of, uh, of businesses, industries, all that sort of stuff. Um, but here's the caveat. You're, like, the, 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 the individual, like, 
I, I don't know how to put this right, and maybe you'll 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 say this better for me, but animals are like in terms of like a, a an audience to be served. It's like one of the most like li- literally helpless groups that you yeah. can serve. Yeah, serve right, yeah. They literally they, they can't speak. No. It's it's similar. They to, don't have any money. They, they don't right. have any language. They just you know. here. Yeah, <laughs> they exist. And so I you know I, I look at that and it's like well. You know, yes, you want to be um, fair to your people. You want to be, you know, you want to, you you have to make money. Tool money's a tool, and if you don't yeah. have that tool, it's really hard to do anything else. Right, right, right. But also the idea of intentionally pricing people out, like again, like those that are going to be below. This is you know top twenty moving up to top ten. Is those people are gonna find it somewhere. And it's yeah. similar to the screening process. Yeah. It's like, well, I just can't simply can't go there because I yeah. can't afford it. So now I got to go find somewhere else. Right. And there is the high quantity, low quality practice, but yeah. there's a compromise there yeah. too. And it's like, you know, if you're making enough, if yeah. if you if you're if you're function if you, if you're limiting your unnecessary expenses, if you're not wasting your money in inventory management, if you're not wasting your money in just yeah. garbage, right? Yeah. Like inefficiency, inefficiency, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's not a big. I would argue that the reason to raise your prices is one that may be too selfish. Yeah, I <laughs> uh, when I um, there's there's actually a lot of things that I was given advice. I, I don't want to say given advice, but a lot of things that were said to me very early in ownership. Um, you know, and some of those I bounce off of Katie as time went, you know, because she's kind of like my lightning rod, yeah. you know, and just be like, well, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> but one of the <laughs> one of the uh, one of the pieces of advice that I had heard was uh, from a, a vet Lisa. She had um, owned a practice prior and uh, her and her partner who moved out of country should come back. I mean, it's kind of this whole story. Uh, but she had said that one of the most successful people she had known in her life was a hairdresser mm. and that hairdresser. And she's like, you know, is, you know, cause we were kind of talking about business theory and, uh, she's a very, very smart woman. Uh, Lisa really kind of helped me out in the beginning with just kind of getting my mindset right. But anyway, uh, she had said that, uh, this hairdresser, when she would get too busy, she would increase her prices mm-hmm. and then it would just, people would would fall away and then she would still make the same amount of money. She would right. just be doing less work, you know, and she would get too busy. She get too busy. And she said it was the, it was the perfect business model. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course my challenge was, I was like, Hmm, but can you figure out a solution to keeping prices low and handling volume and maintaining quality? Right. That was the ultimate challenge for me that she, she kind of told me this is like, you know, I think that same idea where it's like, we'll just raise your prices if you get too busy mm-hmm. and you fall away and da, da, da. But again, we happen to be in an industry, but most importantly, we happen to be in a niche where we're the last resort. Right. So if we then start to approach people as in like, well, we are your last resort, but guess what? We're just going to be too expensive because we're too busy. And it really mm-hmm. only the people who have money are the ones that we want to serve. Mm-hmm. And um, I've even taken that step kind of one one further um, by saying, I really think we have the opportunity to create a 501c3 and really start to focus on that la- that lower 5% of clientele. Mm-hmm. Like I really haven't stopped. I mean, we talk about the middle 60%, mm-hmm. but I'm constantly figuring or trying to figure out ideas and Katie and, you know, really trying to collaborate on how can we hit into that lower percentage? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously our wellness and ailment plans are one of the big ones. Um, and that's actually where, um, you know, Rachel, her job is so utterly important because mm-hmm. it's like, if she didn't have her responsibilities, we wouldn't be able to serve that lower 20%, that right. lower 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So the idea of raising prices, that's what, that's what I kind of got from Lisa when she was telling me about yeah. her hairdresser, yeah. you know, as I was just like, I was like, that's, that's funny. I mean, good for her, you know, mm-hmm. as a hairdresser, good for her. But I was like, I think there's probably a better way to do this. And if we really focus hard on uh, creating that idea, that perfect match between quantity and quality, mm-hmm. if we can really hit that point, how do we do it effectively? Um, and it still comes back to what we said earlier. It's careers, not jobs. Yeah. You know, is that we really focus more upon empowering the individual and understanding that their role is so important within in the company um, and embracing the idea that we really are here to serve. Mm-hmm. And even to the extent that, um, you know, in the, in the not too distant future, within a couple of weeks, we have a board certified surgeon now mm-hmm. starting to work with us, um, independent contractor. And I mean, there's, there's a kind of ins and outs to that. But I never, ever was under the idea that Paw Health Network was going to be a network or a group of referral centers. Never do I want to jump into referral medicine because referral medicine has a certain connotation. Referral medicine has the association of money. And, you know, I think, I mean, I grew up blue collar, you know, Katie grew up blue collar, you know, we didn't come from money, we aren't money people. And I always think, what if my mom has to go to, you know, an emergency clinic? What if her dad has to go to a surgical practice? What if, you know, we have internal medicine needs and so on and so forth? And really anybody who comes into our organization, um, I never really assumed that I would have a referral practice, but there was this little itch in the back of my brain where I was like, but what if we get a surgeon? What if we get an internist? What if we get a radiologist? What if we get a cardiologist? What if we get people that are of similar mindset that what we are really here to do is to serve and we're here to serve patient care, knowing that, and patients, knowing that there is enough money to go around, knowing that there is enough altruism. I don't think there's a really, I mean, as a general industry, I don't think that we lack altruism. We lose it. Yeah, we will lose it. Yes, exactly. And I think we lose it because we're so forced into the idea of it being a business and money and, you know, production and what's your, do you have a negative accrual? And that was one of Kenny's things. Uh, You know, when he was talking to me, he was like, he's like, it's so weird. He's like, you've never once talked to me about production. He's like, you've only ever talked to me about Medical records. How can we serve patients? What's informed consent? You know, because that's really sort of the meat of the industry. So for me to think about having a referral center, mm-hmm. it's not that. We're a 24-hour animal care center. We're here to serve. Mm-hmm. So if we can start to align the specialty group, if we can start to align the people that have that advanced skill set into the mindset that no we actually don't have to raise prices mm-hmm. in order to do our jobs it's that you know or at least um do our jobs effectively i think yeah. is the, the better way of saying it yep. don't have to raise prices to do our jobs effectively we don't have to raise prices to sort of make um you know a buck or you know because we got student loans and residents and i mean all these different types of things but it's really like Honestly, if you focus on that middle 60% and you embrace that middle 60% and say all of the people, not all, but I mean the vast majority of people are middle 60%. If you focus on the middle 60%, you've already got the top 20. So focusing on the middle 60, you already have the top 80. Mm-hmm. So if you if you gain the stability of the middle 60%, you have the ability to be altruistic for the lower 20 Mm-hmm. you know, to figure out how can we finance this? Can we put money into this? I mean, especially with our efforts with the Humane Society. I mean, we, we put, you know, I think we write off, I don't, I don't even want to say, I it's mean, a, it's, it's, a, it's lot. a lot of money that we write off each quarter <laughs> yeah. and we just don't care no. 
because honestly, we are so, you know, really focused on like, listen, if, if, and I, and I know they would figure it out. I'm not saying we're the savior to humane society, oh, yeah. but, but the reality is like, we, we really make that relationship, um, so much more robust because we really don't care if we lose through them, mm-hmm. you know, and then same thing with a lot of our clientele, like, you know, everyone's like, well, if Carlo's working, we're going to do a lot of payment arrangements, you know, and it's like, <laughs> well, you know, it's true. It's true. One. Yeah. <laughs> Grant gets so mad at me, you know, but, the, but again, it's the idea. I know I kind of went off on a tangent, but it's the, this idea of raising prices. I think you have a certain responsibility as a business owner to follow price increases per year and yeah. make sure everyone's, you know, uh, yep. benefits and make sure everyone's paid well. So I think that there is a, um, general need and desire, desire and need to increase prices each year. But, it, um, but that's out of the sake of responsibility. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, but different. it's not to taper off clientele. Right, right. So, uh, we'll I feel other, like that was a lot to unpack. That was a lot. Yeah. That was a lot. I think the way that I want to unpack it is to actually <laughs> wrap it into a different thing. Because I want to see where your head goes on this one. Because... Um, read this article did some thinking grabbed the oh my god i love the grabbed, infinite game grabbed the infinite game yeah 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 you know kind of kind of thumbed my way through it a little bit and there's a lot of stuff in there that i i thought about like referencing and you know going to but um when i read all of this actually the where my head went um most often was that uh, are you familiar with john nash he was the the guy that russell crowe played in a beautiful mind Oh. He was an economist. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, are you familiar with any of his work at all? No, 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 no. So he I identify with portions of it, but I'm not yeah. that familiar with so, it. So I'll, I'll keep it really simple. Even though his, his work was extremely intense and genius, but um, uh, he started the concept of game theory, or at least really, really advanced it. And in the movie A Beautiful Mind, there's the scene where they're all in the bar. You're, it's it's, it's been, a while. been a while. So they're all in the bar. There's five guys and there's like six girls, something like that, whatever. And so, but one of the girls is clearly like just like a California ten. And the like the the joke in the thing that like kind of stirs on this idea of a cooperative game, which is what he put a ton of work into, is co- cooperative and non-cooperative, which Cynic would call finite and infinite other way around my hands backwards there but um if all five guys go after the one girl if they all focus down in the same zone nobody wins they all lose but if they all pick their own out of the crowd and they don't go for the one that everybody wants they all win yes yes you compromise yes you make sacrifices yes you have to you have to act in the interest of the group, which is not an easy thing to do. It is anti-capitalist in its essence. Right. But what it does is it creates a result that is more ideal over time for the entire group. So it actually creates a better result when played out over multiple series of events rather than one person wins. And then one person wins, and then yeah. one person wins because because you're gonna lose players. So that was where my head went. It's like, and because it's more about the sacrifices, not necessarily about like trying to shark hunt, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's more like, 
okay, if we can just make that little sacrifice, if we can just kind of work together and understand that, yes, we're here to serve the patient, but we're also kind of here to serve each other. Like, yeah. we do that on our team really yeah. well, but also, like, you know, for our process, like, we put a pretty big um, value and priority on sending medical records out of this building. Absolutely. Yes, it's for serve the patient, but also, like, I just want to have continuity of care because yeah. there's a good likelihood that if they're here Friday night, yeah. they're going to call you on Tuesday. Right, right, right. And I want to make sure that we can fuel that conversation in a positive yeah. way. Yeah. So, so the more that as – because the workforce is – gonna see this shift over i think when the eviction moratoriums come into play a little bit more there we may be getting to the point of like some substantial changes but regardless of my uh conjecture there um as this workforce shifts over if we have these people that can maintain that altruism and focus it yes onto patients but also within each other house system's a big part of that right yeah. like we can take these ideas and say we probably don't need them because we're not actually going to get to the point of survival mode. Like we yeah. make our sacrifices for each other and for our patients. Yeah. And that's why we do it. This is my career. Yeah. And ultimately because we are now cooperating, we are now trying to perpetuate this game forward. Yeah. We are all going to win. Yeah. I, I, maybe I just put them all together. Am I, yeah, no, <laughs> am I crazy? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I think ultimately that's why I push so hard for local influence. Yeah. Like legitimately, yeah. you know, I, I think, um, you know, for the growth that we have had in the last five years, um, I would, I would say now again, from a projection standpoint, I would say confidently we have not substantially impacted the revenue of the clinics around us. Uh, no, they they're all busier. Correct. I mean, if they if their revenue's been impacted, it has been on their own accord. Correct. So and I so I think that's the whole thing where when I talk about this or we talk about this unified industry and this unified profession, mm -hmm. I, I used to make several jokes years ago, like probably ten years ago. I said we're you know we, we're a unified profession unless we're in the same zip code. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. like it's like, you know, you go to a conference and it's like, oh, we meet these vets and handshake and oh, yeah, I love, you know, and it's like, but then it's like one of you're like someone who's like down the road. You're like, oh, fuck that guy. Yep. You know, and so that's why I was kind of make the joke that we're unified unless you're in the same zip code. Um, but again, if if again, we really focus into how we are all here together and we all are or we are all here to serve, mm -hmm. um, it's just we're going to kind of do it different ways. Um, I mean, the reality is it's, it's a, it's a symbiosis rather than, you know, than anything else is, um, we are more than willing to admit that, you know, we need them as much as they need us. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the, the, the reality is, you know, we can't, we can't grow fast enough. We went from, you know, three, four to then 10 veterinarians in a very short amount of time and are barely keeping up. Barely. So <laughs> barely. So, so it's really a matter of like, let's just keep leaning into that and acquiring the amount of talent that we can. But like, 
Um, you know, I had a client come through, longtime client actually, her sister came through, but it was a longtime client. Her sister came through. We had a patient with diabetes and so on and so forth. Um, we had done an immaculate job up until the last 5% at discharge. Mm. And it was like the, the way this, the way the patient was discharged to the caregiver, there were some gaps that were in discharge. Um, hopefully the education portal, I was actually going to talk to you about this as far as, um, we have the veterinary side, but actually a client facing mm. side for instructional videos, sub Q fluids and yeah. some administration, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, perfect platform for us to talk about that. Um, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> uh, but you know, as she was kind of, uh, you know, kind of having her festivus, the airing of grievances, yep. uh, is that it was like, actually the way she was talking, it was like, no, I, I am glad that actually the area of veterinarians had contacted you regarding some of the gaps that we had, um, you know, only because the level of competency, competency that we have in some of these items, not to say it's any more or less, but sometimes like we don't effectively know how to communicate that and collaborate and the accountability associated with it. Um, and then it's as we go through the accountability process, the individual who discharged your feedback would provide us the opportunity to educate them how on how to um, you know discharge patients in the future. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a really strong internal mechanism of making sure that all of our staff is accountable, but also putting it in a educational mindset yeah. um, or a growth mindset rather than reprimand. Cause it's like, well, yeah, we missed in the last 5%, but the animal's alive because of us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, getting that feedback and saying, no, we actually, it is a symbiosis. Like we need you as much as you need us. Um, you know, we're going to see, you know, pff, Jesus, 50 sick animals a day. Um, you know, and so we're going to have that experience on really rapid disease detection. Uh, one of my close friends and long clients, uh, Chris Strike, he's my personal uh, trainer as well, is it was like the same thing. It's like I went to a vet, you know, three different times over a three to four week time period. He's like, you got the diagnosis in less than 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, it's because that's what I do. Right. Like that, that's, that's, right. that's what my it's, job is. That's not a slight no, on it's not the a other slight, person right. whatsoever. No, it's just, it's that's just, not, that's not where their time and yeah. efforts have been spent. It's statistics. Right. You see, uh, you see a, a thousand patients this year. I mean, I mean, I, I, we can look at the projections for 2021, but I think <laughs> I really be, don't want to. Yeah, they weren't being a 16K for sure. Um, yeah. In but, terms of total patients. Yeah, total patients. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so for us, it's, you know, I mean, 16K broken out over 10. Yeah. You know, I mean, really, that's 1.6 per vet, you mm -hmm. know, and I mean, working a 40 hour work week, you're just going to hit the volume to have this early disease recognition. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to slight anyone else. It's, it's literally just a numbers game. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we start to think that just because we're faster at a diagnosis or faster disease management, we're not actually better than anyone. We've just had that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why actually uh, Rebecca and I were kind of talking today uh, while I was in surgery is it's like, you know, yeah, I kind of were amputating this patient. Um, yeah, I think there was probably some mismanagement early on, but it's because we, you know, hundreds of fractures per year that we manage, you know, so we've had that opportunity. So if you need, you know, a thousand fracture patients before you're going to be competent in it. We're going to get that in a year. You're going to get that in five. Right. You know, so it's, it's like I said, it's, it's both sides of the same coin. We just kind of have a different purpose or not a different purpose. I'm sorry. Um, a different part of, yeah. of a responsibility, you know, yeah. to patient care. I was actually, when I was driving to the clinic today, I mentally did the math of like, what is the 10,000 hours thing? Like how oh, long yeah. does that actually take? Yeah. 10,000 yeah. hours before you're a specialist. Yeah, that's five years at 40 hours, at a week. 40 hours a week. Yes. And I was like, Oh, 
That's yeah. a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. And, and I think that shines a light on kind of what you're saying. Yeah, and that was Demoline. Uh, uh, we were kind of talking here this last week, and she was like, oh, you know, th- you know, one to three years, three to five years or whatever. I was like, if you work at Paul Health Network for three years, you're going to be an entirely different human being, mm-hmm. you know? And that's actually why I, I love – it's official high five <laughs> – uh, uh, Lauren, Christina, and Rhiannon are finally no longer new grads. Nice. We finally hit that we mark <laughs> live on air. It's all right, girls, it's time to be mentors, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, but uh, I think it was, I think it was Demoline. Actually, I think uh, Demoline and, and Rebecca and I, we were out to dinner. I don't remember what mm. it was, but we were talking about, um, it's always this idea of how these other people are the Mecca. You're a kindergartner and the sixth graders are the Mecca. You're a seventh grader and the seniors are the Mecca. You're in veterinary school or veterinary nursing school and it's like, oh, you're a third year? Oh, you're the Mecca. You know, so it's like this idea that somehow based in age and time that we are somehow better than one another. And that's why, like, I try to intentionally humble myself all the time to everyone all the time. I've been doing this since 2006 i've been doing it for 15 years i am not better than anyone <laughs> i've just had more time to do it right. um you know and so i mean that was kind of the, the conversation that you know we had yeah you know so i actually have a really funny story about that um that is completely non-professional like i'm not it's not d- terrible but yeah. um i've I, I, I've, I've had the same observation, but I've never taken it seriously um, after, I think it was like seventh grade. Yeah. So riding the bus. Yep. Um, you know, I, I grew up where you live now, yes. which those are some <laughs> long bus rides. Yeah. And, you My know. My kids know. You know, so like kindergarten, first grade, right? Like they, they force you to sit in the front because you're a little kid and they got to yeah. keep an eye on you yeah. and make sure you're not hopping around, but also that you're not backed by the big kids. Right. Right. And I like I remember as a child thinking like one day I'm gonna get to the back of the bus. Yep. yep. And one day in like seventh grade, I was in the back of the bus and I saw one of the kids get off and I was like, This is dumb. Like yes. I'm just being a jackass right yes. now. And like yes. there's no there's no pedestal here. No. No. There's no reason for me to think yeah. that I'm better or worse than that person and they're better or worse than yes. me. And what I think that has translated into and you know it is what it is like i've been called more mature than my age you know pretty much since then but um, excluding the appearance of baldness that there is a value <laughs> in being bald when you're 25 years old <laughs> if you're trying to portray yourself as mature Older, right. um but what that turned into was you know i can i can have a conversation with anybody at any age pretty much about anything yeah. Um, yeah. Curious, you yeah. know, that sort of stuff. And I can respect experience and all that, um, but also I'm not in necessarily intimidated. Um, and I think that's kind of the big thing is like, if you're, no matter what your position is in life, if you see somebody that's more experienced than you, just take that as an opportunity to yeah. accelerate your path a little bit yes. extra yes. because they're going to know more than you. And if yes. they can make you not run into that obstacle, yeah. awesome. Yeah. But also, like they're they shouldn't just be swinging whatever weight that they think they have because they actually don't have any no yeah yeah and that was that was actually um there's you know whenever i whenever i talk to people i always listen to how they speak under their voice yeah you know and that was actually uh demo line we were going through i think it was like cri calculations or it was something like that and she's like well you just go through it so fast and i'm like i swear to you like 
don't think that I think you are less intelligent because you don't know what I'm saying the first time that I say it. Mm. I am here to be a mentor. Mm. I am here to help. And I will explain this 17 different ways until you actually know what I'm saying. And I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care. And and again, part of that comes off of the asterisks of, like, me really doing things very against the grain, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, when I go through the CRI calculations, they're like, that makes actually a lot more sense than the way I learned it. I'm like, yeah, I know I get that a lot, yeah. you know? But it's, um, you know, but again, so, you know, a part of that is that I've, um, not that I want to devalue myself or devalue sort of the, um, you know, competency that I have or what I can mm -hmm. sort of bring and add to the team, but it's that you're exactly right. It's the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. you know where I and that's actually why I had such a hard time in veterinary school is because I didn't I innately did not have a hierarchical mentality mm -hmm. like I looked at these people who are viewed as icons in their industry as specialists as educators as whatever it is and it's like how long have you been doing this okay cool because I've been doing it that many like zero years minus school so I actually haven't been doing it at all um, but actually we're we've all we're all doing the same thing mm -hmm. I'm just walking on the same stepping stones that you walked through that many years ago, but there actually isn't anything different between you and I. Um, it didn't always pan out for me. <laughs> um, but uh, but, but that, that's the whole idea of Paw Health is that um, our biggest responsibility is to train those who come after us as we are just sort of stewards to the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why, again, I mean, we talked about it, we talked about the infinite game. That's why I just loved the idea of being in Fora Romano and like seeing this like super mall, you know, like the super mall. And I was just like, oh my God, they have malls 2000 years ago. Like, <laughs> oh my God, the whole world makes sense that everyone's just running around with the same nonsense all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it all kind of, you know, for me kind of fits together. And I think that's where when you look at it from a mentor standpoint now, agreeably with Kate, Katie being more of a leader than I am, you know, I'm kind of more in that, that mentorship role. Like I think there are times when, um, you know, as a mentor or exclusive mentor, you can kind of invest in those things that don't have a great return. Um, you know, where again, like the asset that Katie has is really kind of helping me keep my eyes open, you know, and not sort of being, uh, swept away by the words and really focusing on people's actions. Um, and that's, I think kind of a huge part of this as well is, you know, talking the talk and walking the walk, you know, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things kind of all encompassed here, but, mm -hmm. um, but again, yeah, that, that was kind of the, um, you know, perspective of this con yeah, conversation that we've been having here these last few weeks, you but, know. And I, and I think that, you know, with Lauren and Christine and Rhiannon being, you know, no longer first years, yeah. I'm really, well, they're veterans. Now. I'm, I'm excited to see <laughs> how that plays out because that mentality, right. Of, of, I'm yeah. going to explain this until it makes sense to you. Yeah. Like number one, I really don't have a choice because like yeah. it's my job to teach you this. Yeah. Um, but also yeah. I have made it not a choice by putting myself in this position. Correct. Like, I've chosen this, therefore yeah. it is now my responsibility. Correct. And and you know, may, maybe a part of that and I, I this is not meant to say yeah. that they are intentionally taking it for granted. No. However, they may have taken it for granted when it was happening to them. Yeah. So the cool part about that, though, is if if that's all that they know, how does it translate out now? Yeah. How do they approach that conversation yeah. Yeah. in like, you know, if, if you yeah. take Burris and yeah. have her explain CRIs or, or whatever yeah. the thing yeah. is to someone who's a third year. Yeah. 
does she explain it 17 times because she that's just her understanding that it's now our responsibility yes. to do that yes i think that they will um i but i, I but think I'll, yeah i think it's the utilization of resource yeah so even even if she tries and can't explain it the yep. right way it's just like well you know it's the vulnerability oh yeah like and that and that's yep. what i think most people are afraid of mm-hmm. and that's why like i said yeah. i'm so glad that they finally hit that first year mm-hmm. so now it's all right you're veterans no one gives a shit about you you're not a new, <laughs> you're not a new grad anymore <laughs> you're just you're just you know a practicing vet here you know you finally crossed the threshold yep. um is that collectively they are so immensely intelligent for yeah. different reasons like that's the thing like and, that, and that's what i kind of um, I actually am very proud to have learned with Christina, Lauren, and Rhiannon coming on shift is that, like, they all have, and I just, oh, first year grads, we got some new grads, like, that's so cool, they're all the same, and it's like, but it's, and I should have known this being a parent, like, you know, I mean, it's right. just everyone's so vastly different, but it's like, they are all so smart for different reasons, and it's not that they are better than the other one for any particular reason, and that's why I think I push so hard into them to be mentors, because I'm like, you guys actually don't know how good you are at what you do. Mm-hmm. Like to be to be a year out of school and doing the intensity that you're doing of both consultations to surgeries to the whole thing. Like I, I honestly couldn't be more proud. Like truthfully, mm-hmm. um, I'm just full full in that re- in that regard. But it's like, do you have any idea how many people look up to you right now? Right. Do you have any idea the vastness of students? Go to a first year veterinary student. Go to Anybody who's thinking they're being veterinary industry, you are the seventh grader at the back of the bus. Yep. You are the ones back there like, I just wish I could get there one time. And then they get there and they're just like, well, this whole thing's a fucking sham. Like, why? <laughs> I'm a, you know, and it's I don't a, know anything. Yeah, I don't know anything. And it's like, that's life yeah that's what this game is yeah. and it's and I'm, I'm not you know I, I grew up Roman Catholic you know but it's like it's kind of the same thing in the parochial life as well where it's mm-hmm. like you know oh you don't talk about family problems you don't talk about struggles and it's like all oh, this and we don't talk about how this uncle and that aunt and this and it's like why mm-hmm. teach your children from those problems it's the same thing in this type of thing like do you have any idea, uh, Lauren, Christina, Rhiannon, like to have them integrate back with first year veterinary students, the amount that they can teach them? It's better than what I can teach them. Yeah. I've been out 15 years. Yeah. I don't know what the curriculum is from an experience standpoint because I was there 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I can make I can make play. Yeah, yeah. I can be like, oh yeah, it's hard. Second year sucks. Yeah, okay, yeah. fine. You know, clinics, uh, emotion, eh, you know, but really it's like, you know, a lot of the clinicians that I knew then aren't even there anymore, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't really know the players anymore. And that's why, like I said, it, it's for me, it's, and this is part of the conversations that I was having with, um, you know, uh, Michigan State and the Dean and so on and so forth is it's like, we need so much more young talent infusing into this industry, understanding that their competency and their confidence is substantially higher than those who come after them. And they need to pass that along to the people who come because as an industry, if we can stand up and recognize the worth that we have, the individuals that we are, we can control the future of this industry. We can control the entire industry if we just recognize that we are here to serve. We have one purpose and all of us, I don't care if you own a different practice in the same zip code. I don't care if you're on the other side of the country. I don't care if you're a first year grad. I don't care if you're a three month grad. You can teach someone something. Even if you don't think you're good at it, 
you can. And that comes from someone who is a self-proclaimed imbecile. So it's, again, you know, as a whole, I really, really want to focus and have the industry understand that we are among the most powerful individuals to impact those who come after us. Mm -hmm. That is how we move into the future. That is how we unify as an industry. We come together to understand that we can teach, we can educate caregivers, we can serve patients, and we can serve those people who come after us. That is our career. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I have like other things that I could go to, but I can't end a podcast any better than that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, to, every time that I dip my nose out into the industry, it's always just like, I know I'm jaded a little bit and, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm super critical and probably overreading into stuff. But the, a part of that too is, you know, maybe being overcritical sometimes generates pretty good ideas and all that sort of stuff. Sure. And, uh, really just wanted to focus on that concept of just that cooperative game. Just we're all, yeah. we, if we all have that understanding that we're here to serve, we're here for the same purpose. That means that we can sacrifice for each other because yep. that, because we're no longer fighting over whatever it is that you're trying to acquire and what I'm yep. trying to acquire because there's yep. plenty to go around. Yep. So now let's just work together. Um, big part of that's in education. That's really like, to me, that's the thing that they can control the most because we've all been through it. So if you have it, like that's the thing you can give away. And the more you do that, the more we can cooperate. And, yep. and you know, even if it means that we're making small sacrifices in the way in which we run our practices or you know have our days and all that sort of stuff ultimately taking that control giving you know doing it whatever it is that we can to make this industry better as a whole the more that all of us are going to win absolutely so that was pretty good that's pretty good for, for being the fact that it is like 10 o'clock at night or how did we do was that like 90 minutes that was uh yeah night well where i saw a clock on here yeah. but now i lost track of it. how do yeah, we do with our uh, followers not a lot <laughs> so <laughs> we yeah, uh that's you fine. know one of the th one of the interesting experiments about podcasting is figuring yeah. out the yeah. right times to oh, do oh it's things. terrible time Terrible time. It's terrible time. You know, I figured at some point somebody might throw on a, you know, mix a cocktail and just throw us on, on right. YouTube and just right, listen right, to right. it. Yeah, just but, do a stream uh, direct to TV. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. oh, we got one. We got, oh, Remy's watching. So, yes. Uh, you know what, yes. Remy? We're glad you're here. Yes. Honestly. Thank you. Yes. Um, but yeah. yeah, I guess with that, um, we can call tonight a night. And uh, yeah. you know, if you want to take us out, Carlo, we'll yeah. head our way into uh, into Saturday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Thanks again for coming for another uh, live podcast here today. Uh, and we'll catch you guys next time. Okay.